0: The man who led John McCain's run for the presidency now says a profound moral rot afflicts the GOP. Hi, I'm Melissa
1: Ross. And I'm Matt Corrigan, and this is Political Insanity.
0: It's the weekly podcast where Matt and myself try to make some sense out of our insane political reality.
1: Because if you feel like our politics have gone mad, well, they really have.
0: That's right, Matt. Bring a little sanity back to your life by listening to us each week as we welcome big names to break down the impact of the Trump administration.
1: And today we have a huge name.
0: Yes. Steve Schmidt, the GOP strategist who's been a vocal critic of the president, has a lot to say not only about the Trump White House, Matt, but also the state of the Republican Party and our politics. We're really pleased to have him on today.
1: We really are, and Mr. Schmidt was a ran John McCain's 2008 campaign, and has much to say about the state of the Republican Party.
0: He's been a fearless critic not only of his own party but also the corrosive nature of our politics generally. So, Steve Schmidt, a pleasure. Welcome to Political Insanity, and thanks for being with us.
2: Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having
0: me. And you're a fixture on cable news, of course, lately, particularly since uh, the president's inauguration. I have to begin by asking you, the other night you appeared on, I think it was MSNBC, and you were asked about Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore and the president uh, basically standing by Moore, although he's been accused of... uh, you know many accusations of sexual misconduct with teenage girls. You said that this exposes a profound moral rot in the country, and in the GOP. You see, this is a real turning point. Uh, this this Roy Moore Senate race. How do you think it's going to be resolved? How do you what do you think is the end game for Roy Moore and the GOP if he's if Mr. Moore is seated?
2: Well then he'll be hung like a millstone around the neck of every Republican running in a competitive race around the country as the Republican Party will have established itself as tolerant of alleged pedophilia for the purposes of delivering a corporate tax cut, which, amongst other things, will add up to $2 trillion to the debt. But I I digress. The, The issue here is you have somebody who is credibly accused, on multiple occasions, he was banned from uh, physically being in a mall because of his predations uh, towards 14-year-olds, 15 year old 16 year old uh, young ladies. But when we're talking about a 14-year-old, we're talking about a little kid here. Um, and when you think about a president of the United States rationalizing support for a credibly accused pedophile, child molester over somebody uh, of the other party, we've reached the hour that George Washington warned us about, a a factionalism that's so corrupting uh, to our sense of citizenship and uh, our sense of community and decency uh, that it allows for otherwise normal people that you'd encounter at any moment in your life and probably have a polite exchange uh, with them. It, 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 it allows for them to rationalize support for something that's so indecent, there's not words for it. So we, I think we're at a tragic moment. And I, and I think for the Republican Party, we're at an hour where it's appeasement of, it's acquiescence to the weakness of its leaders, the fluidity and speed with which long-held principles were easily discarded we've 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 arrived at an hour of reckoning for the Republican Party, and I'm not sure the institution uh, survives its encounter ultimately with Donald Trump and the apologists and the enablers around around the Republican Party who have chosen this expedient route to power against the long- term principles of the institution.
0: Wow, it, Matt, you know everything Steve's saying, this tribalism he talks about it really has motivated in large part, you and I starting this podcast because we experience it every day, too.
1: We do. And, and just getting people to understand what's going on is, you know, I think a, a real motivation behind it. And, and and Steve, when you talk about the Republican Party, uh, you, you know, you've, you've worked with the governor from California, the former governor from California. You've worked with Senator John McCain. Is there a place for People like that in today's modern day Republican Party?
2: Look, I, I was I was I was privileged to serve in the in the Bush White House as well. And I and I helped lead the confirmation uh, fights for the Chief Justice and, and Justice Alito. I think that the country needs a center left party, it needs a center right party. Uh, But when you get to a point where there's no room in the Republican Party for a George W. Bush or a a John McCain or a Jeff Blake or a Bob Corker, not on the essence of their ideology or their conservatism, but on the basis of their stated concern for the lack of probity, the lack of rectitude from this president, the constancy of the lying, the erratic behavior, and the malfeasance in the response by the federal government in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, and the callousness towards the suffering of fellow Americans there, when you see attacks made on the 26-year-old widow of a fallen Green Beret who's pregnant with a second child, Uh, when you see the attacks on Gold Star parents and and the constant uh, impulse towards authoritarianism, the attacks on the judicial system, on the Justice Department, on the notions of a, of a free press, um, when people are concerned about that, you know, concerned with defending these precious American institutions, which are our great inheritance, that have been handed to us at great cost, great sacrifice, um, when, when there's no room for that anymore in the Republican Party, it, it represents a decay and a rot uh, that's hard to describe and, and hard to see how we come back from it.
0: What do you think the end game is? I know it's impossible to really predict, but you just you said a minute ago, you don't think the GOP can necessarily survive Donald Trump. What do you think now, I, is the I'm fate sure, of, what, what, of, the, of the Trump, White House and of the Republican Party?:
2: Well, it, it seems to me the Republican Party's become an organized conspiracy to hold power uh, with little plan uh, about what to do with that power for the for the public good. Um,
1: that's a great quote.
2: <laughs> surrender and, and abdication of, of all in any principle. The notion of the importance of the U.S.-led liberal global order, a sense of internationalism, America's role in the world, what we stand for in the world, uh, how easily that's been abdicated by Donald Trump, who's playing footsie with every strongman, uh, that you could think to name the despicable images of him standing next to the Philippine uh, thug Duterte. Um, you you look at uh, you look at the United States as a country in the Republican Party that benefits so much from free trade, um, and the Republican focus on responsible government spending so easily abdicated in this tax bill. You look at the total collapse of rigor in the policymaking process. For sure, there are lots of things that need to be repaired in Obamacare. But the point is, the Republicans took votes on something that it, that touches 100% of the people, a sixth of the economy, without having any idea how much it cost, how many people right? it ultimately was going to harm and change their insurance coverage on. and. No idea what it was going to do to the insurance markets. That's the definition oppositional of, of conservatism. You look at this. You look at this tax bill. You have you have tax incentives in there for private jet use while you're canceling the state and local mortgage interest deductions um, uh, and property tax deductions. You look at the two trillion dollars in new debt. These are antithetical to conservative values. And, and lastly. I think for Republicans you know, who remember Reagan and Reaganism, what's the difference between Reaganism and Trumpism? I and mean, what's inscribed on Ronald Reagan's tombstone is, 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 a, is a quote of his. And it says, you know, I believe uh, in my heart that man is good and that in the end what is right always triumphs over what is wrong. And there's worth and purpose in every human life. And that was the essence of Reaganism. It, it animated and defined a conservative movement uh, that that drove American policy, I would argue for the good for a generation but it's gone now and, and what's come in behind it is reviled by you know upwards of seventy percent of the country and we've lost Latinos for a generation at least and African Americans maybe for all time but also millennials and gay people and people who are tolerant and decent and I think you look at the map right now what Thank you, Steve. Are you still there?
0: Oh, he has gone. On. Okay. Okay.
2: Let me save it. In these off year elections in November across the country, that could well be a harbinger for where we'll be in 2018.
0: Yeah, the the Virginia election in particular
1: is this an opportunity? Because Democrats seemingly don't waste an opportunity to make a mistake. Is this an opportunity that Democrats are not handling particularly well right now? I saw Speaker Pelosi on, I believe it was Meet the Press this weekend, and she basically gave uh, Conyers a pass. And it, John did,
0: Conyers accused of sexual improprieties. Right. right.
1: And so is, is there, do the Democrats have an answer here?
2: Well, I, look. There's a lot of criticism of Speaker Pelosi from younger members of the Democratic Conference, and you know this will just add fuel to that to that fire. The hypocrisy and the double standard is not lost on uh, normal, average people in the middle. The whataboutism aboutism uh, is the is the reason that Congress has the lowest approval ratings that it's that it's ever had. Um, but I do think that the question on the ballot in 2018 won't be the Democrats so much as it will be, should there be a check on on Donald Trump and the Republican Party? Should a movement that's supported by roughly, you know, 32, 33 percent of the country have 100 percent of the political power? Um, the, the strength of the Democratic Party in a in an aspirational sense, I don't think will meet its test until until 2020. But for sure... You know, I think that you see a you see a real likelihood of the Democratic Party breaking to the left, an ascendancy of the Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren wing of the of the party. And you know, one of the central lessons from 2016, and I and I say this respectfully towards Secretary Clinton, but if you had taken a bunch of us who have run and won or been at senior levels of a winning presidential campaign, been involved in this, and you gave us all truth serum and you showed the polling numbers for both Secretary Clinton and Donald Trump. You'd come to the conclusion pretty quickly that neither one of these people could possibly have been elected. Uh, but the but the reality is, is when two unelectable candidates run against each other, one of the unelectable candidates is going to win. And I think there's an, a, absolutely a chance that you could see you know, the two parties produce two unelectable candidates. You may well see um, in 2020, an independent candidate for president of the United States, uh, I do think we're at a moment where when when markets fail um, right. and, and we've seen a market fail here is that if there's enough consumer demand, the market creates more choice. And yeah. um, you may well see that we're at this moment of disruption in American politics why, well, where what has come before uh, is not going to be what comes next.
0: Is that a campaign you would be interested in running? Because increasingly, when I listen to you talk about these issues, you strike me as somewhat of a political independent. Is that how you think of yourself these days?
2: I I, I really don't think that my politics has changed very much uh, ideologically over the course of, of, of 20 years, but, but, but certainly... Um, you know, I am estranged from this uh, this grievance, this anger, this nationalism, that this populism, you know, of the of the Trump era. Um, you know, it is it is worrying uh, when you see a president of the United States attack the media the way he did over this past weekend, essentially putting a state media imprint tour on Fox News, discrediting What's objective truth around the world, you know, with regard to people who watch CNN, uh, which is not a fake news organization, um, though not undeserving of of criticism at times? Certainly, Uh, the you know, whether it's Trump talking about his crowd sizes or the fact that millions of people voted illegally or now that, in fact, the Access Hollywood tape is a fraud, it wasn't him. These aren't your typical politician lies. These are lies of authority that require obedience. All, all democracies are founded on a, on a, on a foundation of truth, uh, while autocracies and totalitarian governments are founded on, on, on a lie. That, And that lie is always premised on that what is true is subjective. What is true is what the leader believes to be true. And so the, the type of lies that Trump tells take place nowhere else in the world in a healthy democracy. And a year on to this, um, I, I am worried um, about two things. I'm, I'm worried about the assaults on our institutions uh, by the commander-in-chief, the head of state, the president of the United States. who's sworn to defend and protect them. And I'm worried about uh, a third or more of the country that looks at their fellow americans not as opponents not with love but as each other's actual enemies and 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 so long as we continue to not deal with a fundamental problem in our in our society which is the lack of real wage growth for working class people in an era of technological disruption uh, the chances are great that our politics can continue to be driven in a counter-virtuous cycle where the extremes become more extreme, the factions become louder, more intense, and we continue this negative spiral. We are, we are, at, a, we are at a place worthy of concern in our, in our public life, uh, despite there being a great many reasons to be optimistic about the long-term trajectory of the country, there's real reason to be worried about it. We don't talk enough about it and deeply enough about
0: it. I, I so agree. And it's why Matt and I are are doing this podcast in our non-existent spare time, uh, because we're concerned about this this deep division that we see, this deep anger. It is deeply troubling. And uh, I know you agree, Matt.
1: I, I do. And, and, and Steve, has one last question. Uh, could an independent win the presidency in twenty twenty with all the structural barriers and with with your experience uh, could you give us a view on that is is an independent presidency a possibility?
2: I do think the, i do do i do think the difficulties of ballot access are overstated they they've become uh, easier uh, over the last twenty years the The reality is is that um if you if you have two candidates um, that you know are at you know low thirties in an approval, is there a broad middle who's looking for something new, something something different? You have to have the right person with the with the right message, uh, the right con- contrast. I, I do know this: but the purpose, the person who will who will beat Donald Trump is is a person who has oppositional virtues to Donald Trump. Uh, that they they have the capacity to have love in their heart for the Trump voter, to have empathy for people in parts of the country that have fallen on hard times, that haven't seen a real wage increase, to understand that in this era of technological advancement and globalization, there have been winners and losers, and that our public policies have not reflected what to do uh, about people who fall in a category, for example, since 1984, we have tripled the production of our, of, with regard to our exports, but we do it with one third the number of workers. Right? We need we we need someone who has a sense of rectitude and probity and dignity, uh, somebody who has the the capacity as a leader to repair the breaches that have opened up amongst us, that has an attachment to the history of the country, um, who looks at the American people. Uh, with optimism and who, who, who looks at the country and its future um, with optimism, but also uh, steady, steady conviction about who we are and, and 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 what we are and what we stand for in the world. And so, if you if you have a person, you know, who has that transcendent you know, level of skill set, I, I think anything is possible. The, the one thing that's always been true about the country, almost providentially, is it has produced the right leaders at the right moments. And and we're certainly due for one of those again.
1: Well, that's well, an aspirational way to end this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well said. Steve Schmidt, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for appearing on our podcast. We appreciate your time.